Start off. I'll introduce Mick, Danny, Ben. They're with us. Um, so I'll bring you something more important than you three, though. I think. Uh, <laughs> Adam Lafondre is joining us. Thank you for joining us, Alfie. Hi, uh, right, guys. You okay? Yes, very good. Good morning, good too afternoon. Early, too early morning. Oh, well, for us. evening for me, but morning for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you coming in, mate. Thank you very much. No worries. My yeah. pleasure. My pleasure. So I thought we'd start first off by talking why we're here, everybody. I like everybody was listening and watching. Um, we're, today we're hoping to raise some funds for British Red Cross Ukrainian Crisis Fund. Obviously, a month ago, when it all started kicking off in Ukraine, we talked about it on the podcast. And we found it all very difficult. I know, and speaking me and Danny and Mick, we find it very difficult to talk about because we just felt a little bit helpless. So I thought we'd try and do a little bit. I know, with, you know Russia's a bigger problem than us. We're not able to solve the problem. But I thought hopefully we could raise a bit of cash, raise a bit of funds, and hopefully make a small bit of difference. If anybody's watching the GoFundMe page, or just giving page, sorry, it's pinned to our Twitter page, it's pinned to our Facebook page. Go over there, and if you can give anything, just please do. If you, if you can't give anything, just share it. Let everybody else know, um, and we'll hopefully be able to get some uh, bit of cash. Mick, Danny, Ben, anything to add on, uh, add on me speech? I'm sure I'll have something to add throughout the day. I won't I? It'll be controversial and annoying to some people, but we'll leave, it. We'll leave, we'll leave politics out of it, shall we, for the time being. If we can play for 12 hours, we'll do that, but I've got a feeling I might not be able to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so as I say, we're on YouTube, I'm live on Facebook, so if anyone wants to send any comments in, feel free to get involved. We're here 12 hours, so we are going to need some stuff to talk about. Uh, <laughs> so Alfie, let's start with you. Last time we spoke to you, eighteen months ago, you were in uh, isolation in India, getting ready for the Indian thing, and that went really, really well for you, didn't it? Yeah, it didn't do too bad. Um, you know, obviously winning both trophies there, sort of job done, really. Um, sort of accomplished that, and um, come back to England not for you know a bit of R and R with the family, seeing the family, and then. Um, you know, moved back to Sydney, which obviously, as you can imagine, my family really enjoyed that considering they just settled <laughs> in England and then they moved back to Sydney um, after moving back from Sydney. So, obviously, it's been a bit of a you know whirlwind for us as a family, but um, we're all settled here and, and obviously enjoying the life out here. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm going to ask some silly Australian questions because we've got 12 hours to kill. Um, so, everybody associates Australia with snakes, spiders, scary stuff. How yeah. many of those have you come across in your many years in Australia? <laughs> you know, funny enough, uh, spiders, yeah, I've seen a fair few. You know, obviously, uh, funnel webs, redbacks, I had them in my garage, redbacks. Like when I had, when I was leaving my old house to leaving, uh, leave Australia, um, we had a dollhouse in the garage, which we never got out of the, the storage wrapper, which was, you know, home to a, a host of redbacks. So, <laughs> You know, obviously, we, we we didn't want to take that home with us in the end, so we ended up just launching that and saying, you know what, uh, they can keep it. Um, so snakes never. Uh, when I've been on the golf course, I've seen the sign saying, you know, a brown snake was spotted X days ago. Mm. Be careful. And you know, I'm that good at golf. I never go in the trees. I just drop a ball in the fairway if that happens. So um, you know, if, if that's the case, I just try and stay away from them. Really. Brilliant. Um, I had another question. All right, what I want to also talk about is Wembley. Uh, obviously, you've been to Wembley twice. Well, Mr. Am I right with saying Rotterdam, Rotherham? Yeah, both times. Uh, I lost. We're going obviously to Wembley this week for the Papa John's Trophy. So I'm interested in the build-up. You know, when does the build-up start to Wembley? Is it as soon as you get there? Is the excitement build? Is the preparation build? Or is it sort of a couple few days before it starts kicking in? I think for the, for, I think for me, um, you know, with the playoff final, it was like. You know, two or three days before, you know, everyone's sort of mm. clamouring for tickets. You know, everyone's sort of making a big deal of it. You're going to Wembley, you know. Um, and obviously, the magnitude of the match. Um, mm. obviously, obviously, I've never played in the, the 
what Johnson's paint or Trekker Trade final or whatever it's called. Pizza man, Papa John's. <laughs> Papa John's, whatever. Yeah, you know, I've never played in that final, so obviously yeah. that's going to be different. Different ramifications of winning that than than getting promotion. So, you know, from my experience, you know, it, it, there was a lot more nerves going into the mm. the playoff one because there's a lot more at stake. You know, obviously going up or down, and you know, financial ramifications on the back of that as well. So. Um, obviously, it's, it's a great honour to play at Wembley because not you know not every professional gets to do that. It's it's such a great thing to have on your CV um, that you played at Wembley. It's even better if you've got the ones where you win. Unfortunately, I've got the you know two three two losses there and um, two not really great games there as well, which is no. uh, you know unfortunate for me. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. Unfortunately, I remember the Wembley one in twenty ten. It was uh, yeah. Frustrating. Was very frustrating. Yeah, painful. Painful, really. You know. Uh, yeah. We should have gone up automatic, and we end up losing in the player final to a team who we'd. I think we beat them both times in a home and away. So yeah. Uh, and we. Did that have pressure on? Looks at a team that we'd beat twice, and every thought oh, it's Rotherham United. They've got they've got Alfie, they've got all these other good players. Yeah. Did that add? Did that add quite a, a bit of pressure on? Uh, I don't know if it added pressure. I think. You know, for me, um, I probably put too much pressure on myself to impact mm. in that game. You know, in, in both of the games, I'd score, I'd scored all the goals, I think, or I scored in both games against Dagenham. And I think, for me, it was like, I'm going to score anyway. So, I always score against Dagenham, you know. I, and then, when I weren't really getting any chances, I probably put even more pressure on myself to think, you know, mm. I've got to be the hero today because I'd scored so many that season and, and felt like I sort of had to put the team on my back, which it wasn't the case because we had a team full of good players. And, you know, at a young age, when I was what, 22, 23, I was, I was probably, uh, probably had a, a lot more selfish mindset um, mm. and, and probably didn't think of the team as much as I did, you know, maybe two or three years later down the line when, when I realised, you know, every, every player is as good as their, you know, their own opportunity, you know, entails was fantastic that 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 game and, and you know got us in the game really tails did mm. with the way he played um it's just unfortunate that i didn't manage to impact the game they did a good job on me i think um i think it was mark arbor i think their left foot center half just smashed me all game i think you know that was <laughs> you know probably one of their tactics i know they, they put the bum on say it but it probably was you know let's kick lafondre all over the gap yeah. and, and just make sure he doesn't do anything and you know they, they it worked because they won you know, and, and, and I was a non a pretty much non factor in that game really and you know unfortunately that's one thing I do really regret is, is not being able to achieve something with Rotherham with you know the amount of goals I scored for Rotherham, never really achieving anything as a team was was a real bitter pill for me because I wanted to have, you know, a promotion or, or something like that on the mm. resume with them because of, you know, the, the support they gave me and I, I wanted to give something back other than just the goals that I scored. Mm. Yeah, we we share that frustration that those few years were yeah brilliant, but and eventually very unfortunate frustrating. Mick Danny Ben, if you want to jump in as well, you can ask me a question. I want to look through some YouTube comments. Um, Russ Vernon wants to know. I'm just listening. It's all very interesting. (laughs) Um, Russ Vernon on the comments. uh, Question for Alf: Would you like to play against with alongside Michael Smith, who's our current top scorer this season? Did you ever play Uh, against Michael Smith? I can't remember if I did or not. Um, I've seen it. I think he just passed me or something for the most goals or something. Yeah, yeah but the tweet, top, top scorer of this century. And, and then we're asking <laughs> me about playing up front with him and stuff like that. And, um, to be fair, I was I was quite lucky to play up front with Popey, who mm. I know he got a lot of stick at Rotherham, but he was, for me, a brilliant foil for me. He, was, he did all the horrible stuff and, and all the gritty stuff. And if, you know, obviously... If Michael Smith's anything like him, not obviously he does score. You know, I've seen him score fifteen goals or twenty goals. Then, if you've got two strikers who combine and, and, and score goals, you know, obviously I'm going to score goals. So, if you've got another striker as well who's chipping in fifteen, twenty goals on top of that, then mm. uh, the partnership, you know, pretty much guarantees your success. Really. Um, mm. So obviously, I, I I love to play for the good players that. Um, obviously, it's, it's like them old talks, and it's like pub talks and barbershop talks. But yeah. imagine we had him up front with him, and you know, imagine mm. the sort of habit they would create and stuff like that. Um, and you never really get to see them situations play out, unfortunately. But you know, obviously, playing up front with good players, you and in a in a good system and a good team, which one has mm. got the boys playing really well. So, um, you know, there's obviously going to be chances created, and if you've got two good strikers up there who take the chances, you obviously win a lot more games than you lose. Hmm. You could always come yeah. back, Alfie. 
I don't know. It's a bit, it's a bit sunnier here. I think it's a bit oh yeah. Oh yeah. Here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. It's been sunny this week. Got to fourteen degrees, I think. Yeah, you know, funny enough, it's been it's been a bad summer here. We've we've not had that much sun, and and there's been quite a bit of rain as well, which um, is very unlike Sydney. But um, I don't know if it's quite uh, pushing me out yet. <laughs> Um, Brendan Thicke has an Australian themed question. Uh, which is your favourite stadium in Australia and England? Oh, good question. Um, in in Australia, we we play one in Melbourne called Amy Park, which is like a, an, an English feeling stadium. You know, hmm. a lot a few of the stadiums here are you know multi purpose and hmm. they play a lot of um, NRL or sometimes they have AFL on them as well, and they'd be ovals and. And, and not quite feel like a stadium where it's four corners of, of stadium bricking. You know, sometimes it can be like a hill on the side or a hill behind the goal, which is very traditional for like the rugby and stuff like that. Here. Mm. And, um, I think Amy Park, and then there's one in Adelaide actually, uh, Cooper's Park, I think it's called, or, or something like Cooper something. And that's a, a really good stadium, tight, and really creates good atmosphere when you go there as well. Um, I think in England, probably Don Valley. <laughs> no what, what a place! Um, the stadium that's not there anymore. Good grief! Yeah, well, thank God. I wish it weren't there when I was there. <laughs> Funny you say that. It is a park field now. It's a park yeah. field for Chef Alan Yune. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's probably, probably a better that. pitch. Yeah. Well, after yeah. Probably. Concert, maybe. Yeah. It's a better pitch, isn't it? It's a, it's, it's a, it's a four G. The pitch that were laid down for Olympics, weren't it? Yeah. Um, so it's it's a proper stadium now. I think Sheffield United ladies play there now as well, so mm. they've got a stand and everything. But but the the, the playing surface, obviously, because it's four G, is just is immense. Yeah. Uh, but same atmosphere, exactly yeah. the same atmosphere. <laughs> hills hills around three sides and uh, and freezing yeah. cold. <laughs> With the occasional tram as well. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, where are we? We've got loads of comments. Got, thank you for everybody who put comments in. Um, Reese Kelly, question for Alfie Who was your favorite player you played alongside Rotherham? I assume you said Popey, like you mentioned a minute ago. Uh, yeah, up front, um, Popey. I, but I think to play with connection wise, Lawsy. I think, uh, mm, you know, me and him were really on a really good wavelength. Um, a lot of good stuff came through me and him, and I had a really good relationship off the field and on the field with him. And I still speak to him now, really, when he's in, a, in America at the moment playing for. I think Indy 500 and, and spoke to him, you know, um, why he's been out there and stuff. So, yeah, but I had a great relationship with, with Lawsy and I think, you know, everyone could see that on the pitch as well with the way we played together. Mm. It is criminal when you think it plays well, it's criminal that we didn't get promoted, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, we, Nick Lawsy, he's going to an amazing career with Rangers. Uh, I know Pop Top Up didn't score for us, but he was very good. The defence were very good. Andy Warrington in goal. <laughs> Yeah, crazy. It just seems crazy that that team didn't go looking back now. But yeah, disappointing really. Disappointing really when you look back. When I look back yeah. and I think what we did achieve in the regular season up until like March in both seasons, mm. and then we just seemed to fall away for a month, and then you know try and fight back at the end. It was um, really disappointing. Which, um, like I said before, um, for me as a player who who we sort of endeared to the Robin fans because, they, you know, they love me for scoring goals and, and obviously I love them because they love me. Um, and not being able to have proper success with them is probably one thing I do look back on and think, you know, I'm probably a little bit upset with, with the fact that uh, I'd love to have some to pros, proper success with, with Rotherham and, and even come back and played in, in the New York Stadium because, yeah. you know, that was sort of sold to me when I bought, when I joined that I was going to play at the new training ground, going to be at the new stadium, etc. And, you know, obviously uh, I was at Doncaster's stadium at the training ground there until we got um, Parkgate, I think it is. And mm. and then obviously um, I was at Don Valley for, for two and a bit years as well. So it would be nice to play in a, in a proper stadium in, in Rotherham, obviously. Uh, you know, and I, to be fair, when it, one of the, most emotional things I've had is when I came back to Rotherham with mm. with Wolves and um, I got a reception at the New York Stadium where near enough everyone in the crowd was standing up shouting my name and 
I was having a bad time at Wolves at the time and mm. you know the the fans really made me feel welcome and you know loved again which was yeah. something I was probably going through there and weren't enjoying my football there and it, it really did make you know bad season for me one standout part of it mm. yeah as a striker you know you, you've been to Rotherham scored loads of goals been to Reading scored loads of goals and then you go out to somewhere like Wolves like it weren't going it weren't going amazingly well because you're the man that scores the goals, and if you go a few games without scoring goals, especially for a loan, how much pressure do you then feel from the fans? Because they're expect loan signings have to hit the ground running. That's the rule with loan signings, isn't it? I imagine the pressure just escalates if you don't if you keep not scoring. Yeah, of course. I think for me, with when I went to Bolton, I, I did straight away at Bolton. The the manager, you know, seemed to get me on the other end, and he he seemed to get my personality. Um, and I'd moved to Cardiff prior and, and played in a system that didn't really suit me. And mm. unfortunately, you know, things happen in football and they, they somehow engineered a move and I got a loan move to Bolton. And Neil Lennon was massaging my ego, really, and, and sort of rebuilding it as well. And mm. the fans, very much like uh, Rotherham and Reading's fans, where, you know, they seem to love me straight away and, and seem to just, I seem to fit in with them. And, mm. You know, that translated on the pitch. And then when I moved to Wolves, the the fans were great at the start. And obviously, I, I was pitched a different role than what I was given. I was pitched, you know what, you're going to come here and play. You and Benny Kofobe, it's going to be a really good partnership. And and we're going to be going for promotion. And then we got to the end of the window, sold the captain, Richard Stearman. And I was like, OK, I'm the oldest player in the squad now at like 28. <laughs> and are we going for it or not? And we were like, yeah. yeah, we still sort of are. And we had like an in and out start. And I was in and out of the team. I think I played, mm. I think the most games I played in a row was four. And I was like, I'm meant to get a, I'm meant to get a yeah. rhythm here. I'm, I need to play games. If you want me to, you know, do my best stuff, I need to know I'm going to play games in a row to just find my feet and find my rhythm. And I never really got that. And then when it got to, <coughs> I think it was October. The manager just said to me, look, we're trying to sell Benicophobe for January, so you're not going to play. And I was just like, oh, OK. Um, what a waste of time for me, yeah. really. And that's what it was. So I was just sort of waiting for January. And then January came and I was like to their director of football, I want to leave. I want to go somewhere else. And they sold Benic and they had no strikers. And they were like, no, we want you to stay. And I was like, well, not really, because I'm not going to play. And they were like, no, mm. you will do. And then they bought in a winger from Poland and played him up front, and I was like, uh, hello. <laughs> and I was like, well, what's going on? And they were just like, well, mm, don't know. And I was like, oh, okay. What what am I meant to do? Like, this is sort of stalling mm. my career after all mm. the you know, good work I'd put in at Bolton. It was sort of a, you know, a sticking point for me because effectively mm. it, it was just curtailing all the good work I had done. And, then I couldn't get into the team, couldn't play, and, and we were just a mid-table, mediocre team really from then. And um, you know, the Wolves never really saw the best of me, and never really saw anything of me. And that, you know, that's no blame on anyone. It's just that's how it goes in football. If if you don't get the opportunities to show, you know, how good you are, and you, you're never going to do that. And if you're in and out of the team as a striker like me, um, I'm going to struggle off the back of that. I need games. I need. I need hmm. to know I'm going to play and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But it was just one of them things. That was one of the things I, um, I didn't like in my career. Really, is is the the way that was handled and 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 what happened off the back of that. But you know, that's football. I, I know the the dirty side of football now. Hmm. Yeah. Um, on positive, RF Tiny wants to know what's the best best moment in your career. It's not just Rodham career. Uh, best moment in your entire career. Uh, my entire so career, I'd probably say scoring two for, for Reading at Southampton away when we pretty mm. much got promotion to um, to the Premier League was, was up there as you know one of the best moments in my career. Um, and then there's a Bolton game where we stayed up on the, the final day of the season um, against Forest. We come back from the dead and uh, managed to make a good impact in that game as well. And we won 3-2. So them two are like... Yeah. Things that give me goosebumps, and and whenever I see mm. the highlights and stuff like that, it's the the they bring back you know the sort of raw emotion of that day, and you know yeah. two totally different feelings: one of euphoria and one of 
disbelief really you know disbelief we stayed up after being sort of relegated and want to get promoted to the Premier League after being you know I was at Rotherham at the start of that season before I got <laughs> you know I was playing in the Don Valley score I think my last goal was against Barnet at home at the Don Valley so, yeah. and then I got sold again <laughs> the like, a couple of days after so you know um, it was a whirlwind for me you know to say I was mm. playing at the Don Valley in League 2 12 months ago and then fast forward I'm, I'm scoring against Stoke in the first game of the Prem season for Reading was <laughs> Uh, you know, incredible, really. It was such an amazing journey for me. It made such a big impact on my life and career, really. Mm, yeah. I was looking at your Reading promotion season and I would compare it to where we are now. Rotherham, we're in a really good position, but we've gone in a little bit of a rut. One win in five games and a really bad loss at the weekend. I was looking at Reading's fixtures when you went up and there was a loss to Peterborough about a month or two before the end of the season, which on paper looks like a really bad result. Was was that a catalyst? Was that just a one-off? How does how do results like that affect a team chasing promotion? Um, I, if you see, I think for us, we we just went on a crazy run from January. We were like yeah. seventeen out of twenty-one games until the end of the mm. season, where we just smashed people. We'd we'd get battered, but we'd win. It didn't matter. Yeah. We we somehow found a formula of winning a game, and if we got beat, we just sweep it under the carpet, we just go to the next yeah. one because the games come that fast. You can't, mm. you know, sit and dwell on things and, you know, start moping around because you're in such a good position. You don't want to throw it away by having, you know, a hangover from that game and take it into the other game when, you know, obviously I see Rotherham at, at the top of the league. They've been clearly, the, you know, one of the best teams in the league again. Mm. So, he's obviously, Warren is obviously doing something really right and you get them results, you get them sort of outlier results where, you know, sometimes it don't click and people raise the game against you and, um, you get tucked in. It's a nice reality check to have going mm. in towards the end of the season. And I think, you know, Touchwood obviously um, they kick on from here and you know get promotion again back to the championship. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, we have Shelley RFC on YouTube. Um, what's your best goal? What's your best best goal for the Millers and most memorable? Could be two different ones, I suppose. Something. Best goal. Best goal. Best Lincoln home. Was that the bicycle kick? No, not that one. The one where I ran it from the halfway line and beat the players <laughs> far in. You don't normally need yes. to score them goals. So <laughs> the only thing disappointing about that is uh, it was I missed the actual penalty trying to be too cocky. Yeah. It really annoyed me. I, I was messing around with the keeper because the keeper was trying to give me mind games, and so I told him where I was going to put it, and he dived the other way, and I hit the post. So. You know, that's one thing that really did annoy me. You know, that me just remember stuff like that. Uh, I think the older shot away goal is probably mm. my favourite goal um, because it had, you know, great, massive importance. Yeah. Away in the playoff leg, last minute, it's been a real battle and it gives us the edge, you know, gives mm. us a good psychological edge and gives us a, a really good edge going into, you know, the home game at Don Valley where, you know, funny enough, we had actually a really good atmosphere that, that yeah, night, yeah. the second leg. Uh, I think there was about the only eight, one eight or ten thousand fans there, and it was it was yeah. actually a, a great atmosphere for Don Valley, and mm. um, you know I thought that goal was, was was sort of my sort of goal, the sort of goal I you know live and die on is you know gambling mm. on people's mistakes and and putting away the the rest of it. We do, obviously we don't play too many two legged games, so but in a two legged game, obviously getting the lead is very very important, but to get it when we did, do you feel like that was Doubly, because they thought, oh, well, we've done really well. We've restricted this team and then we've done something stupid and now we're 1-0 down. Yeah, because, you know, ultimately, they, they they pretty much would have turned it into just a one-off game. Mm. You know, obviously, they it was a pretty yeah. even game. There's no real chances in the game. And, um, you know, the, the centre-half Brown has, has sort of played enough of all back to the keeper and I've gambled off the back of that. And, you know, I've been quiet all game. It was probably a mm. typical game for me where I reckon I probably touched it probably 20 times all game and, you know, I'll come away scoring the winner. And, you know, I look as if I've, I've had a great game, but really I didn't really do anything <laughs> apart from scoring. Um, I, I, you'd probably know by watching me, a, a lot of my Robin games were a bit like that, really, where you wouldn't really see me for half an hour and, and somehow you come the end of the game, I'd score two mm. and we've won 2-0 or 2-1 or, okay. you know, I, I've had some sort of impact on, on scoring in the game. And... Um, <laughs> You know, I sort of had that knack at definitely at Rotherham to do that and, and not really have to impact the general play of the game, but 
um, somehow it influenced the scoreline of the game, which was, you know, lucky for me. I, I was managed to do that, especially in that older shot game, definitely. Mm. Yeah. Can I jump in with a question? Go for it, mate. You don't um, pass. <laughs> <laughs> it's like being at school. Please, <laughs> <laughs> he, he scores a pass nine. It's like being back at school. Leave me alone. Um, but yeah, you mentioned about uh, about atmosphere. Uh, now we've had a little bit of, I think issues the uh, the wrong word to use. But when you've got John Brecken on the pitch with the microphone asking for an atmosphere, it does raise a few questions. So I just want to ask, how important is it to you as players when you've got an atmosphere behind you? And on the flip side, how does it affect you when the crowd just goes quiet? And like it's nerve setting in. Yeah, you know, I think for me, you can see it in both camps really. As a home player, it's it's incredible. You need to have a positive mm. atmosphere. I think, you know, fans don't really. I don't know if they understand the the importance they have. They can, you know, I know it sounds daft, but maybe not strike fear, but you can put uncertainty in. You know, the other mm. players. If you're creating, you know, look at Millwall. You know, mm. their fans they they create an atmosphere there, which is you know, let's. Let's put it, you know, nicely. It's, 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 uh, you know, a little bit like a war going into there. Yeah. And, you know, if they, if you can create that sort of siege mentality for the home team against the away team, then you're sort of one upping, or you're giving half a head start to to the boys, and and you're getting a little bit of a, a boost off that, and a bit of adrenaline rush, etc. And I think that's what, you know. If you're doing well, you always get that. Do you know what I mean? Obviously, because they're watching successful football, you're really involved, you're really engaged as a fan because you know you're waiting to score, you're waiting to win because you're used to that. I think obviously, as an opposing player coming into a team who's you know not doing well and the fans turn very quickly, it can be very damaging because you can see you know some players don't like that and you know can see people's confidence draining very quickly. I remember playing for Bolton, we played at Sunderland away. And we went 2 nil up early and their crowd was going mm. mental, like really bad. It was very uh, venomous from them. And mm. you can see their players didn't really want it. It looked, it looked as if they were just playing sidewards and very, playing very cautious. And, you know, they got one goal and, you know, the crowd came alive then and it spurred them to get another. And they went 3-2 up. And then we managed mm. to score the third draw three all. But they were in the ascendancy for literally... 50 minutes and, and probably should have won like four or five, two. Be just off the back of that rush from the crowd to get them yeah. back into the game after, after you know, 20 minutes of awfulness, even, like, even if that's a word. Um, <laughs> just like disgusting, venomous stuff coming vile. You know, as you can imagine, you know, they're really mm. disappointed in a relegation battle with, we were obviously not a great team as well. And it was a real six pointer and, and you two no down to them. And you get enough from the players that they're obviously going to pile on, and um, it had obviously an adverse effect on them. But somehow they managed to dig themselves out of the mire and and then transformed them into you know a really front foot team, which was it's crazy to see as you know yeah. see both sides of um, of the coin of in, even in just one game of of what fans can impact a game like. Mm. Yeah, and on the same same theme again, we lost last week, and there was a lot of unhappiness, booing. <laughs> At players. Um, now, we had a conversation where a lot of people left early and then some people stayed and booed. As a player, let's talk about the booing first. How frustrating and demoralising is it to hear your own fans, especially a home fan set of fans, boo you off the pitch? Uh, see, it's hard, this one. It depends if it's warranted because mm. if you've been winning a lot and this is a one-off, mm. then I, that me as a player, I think, why are they booing? We've been successful. It's only one result. Yeah. But if you've been bad for a while and it looks as if, you know, you've just been spanked by someone who's not great and it looks as if no one's tried not not give a lick, then, you know, your fans pay money and, and, and more than have their own right to voice their opinion and, and boo whatsoever. But it's, it's obviously, it's a harsh one to go on if you've been successful for a while and then, you know, you have one bad result and you're thinking, hey, up, right, we've been all right here and yeah. we've had one bad result and now everyone's down our neck. It can it can have maybe a negative effect. And, but sometimes it can spur them on and think, you know what, we'll show you in the next game that you want to get yeah. behind us when we're winning. Then, you know, obviously you have to get behind them when you're losing as well. And But it, it's hard. It's, it's hard, really, because, you know, the fans 
pay their money to come and watch them. And if they're not happy, then they're going to voice the concerns. They're, they're happy to praise you. So mm. you've got to be, as a player, you know, big enough to take it when they, they want to not abuse you, but, you know, voice their concerns, I'd say. Mm. Yeah. Mick, Mick, anything to say? <laughs> <laughs> why, why, why do you come to me on that one? You're just a very strong I, fan of opinions normally. I, I am, yeah. Yeah, I just, I mean, I, I'm, I'm perhaps more of a traditionalist and, you know, I, yeah, I, I always be flagged. You support you support your club whether they're playing well or otherwise. Yeah, you can voice your opinion absolutely, you know, uh, and you can call players out for not trying or or anything else. But I'm not a fan of I'm not a fan of staying behind and telling somebody. <laughs> I'm not a fan of staying behind and telling somebody something that they already know. You know why why what why do I as as a non professional footballer who struggles to kick a ball at my age, let alone when, even when I was younger, how am I? How, where have I got a right? To, 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 to stand there and tell Richard Wood he's had a bad game or or, or whoever or, or, or Adam LaFondre, you know. I have no yeah. right. Yeah, I can say I'm up. I don't, I'm, I don't like the performance, but I think you could have worked harder. But, you know, it's about getting behind the team. It is about getting behind the team. And we are, as we said in the podcast last time, you know, we're four points clear at top of the league. We've, we've conceded at least less goals than anybody else in all four divisions, you know. Yeah, we've had a bad game. Yeah, we got we got spanked by a team who were just outside relegation zone, but there were mitigating circumstances. The player got sent off and he shouldn't have got let's the we'll, we'll not go into that, but um, <laughs> that's another you know, with the, I don't know. I, I don't like it. I don't like it. And I think the the issue is as well, and I don't know how this sits with you, Alfie. Social media plays a big part in this, you know, yeah. because it kind of whips up that sort of um, amplifies it as well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's 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 exactly exactly right. I mean, I don't know as a, as a player how that affects you. Do you keep your head out of social media, or you know, if you've had a bad game, you're Mister City. I'll, I'll, I'll not look at Twitter. Or I was never really that bothered, and still not now. Really, you know, you say what you want. Like for me, anyway, I think you know. Obviously, it wasn't that prevalent back then for me when I was playing for Robin. Obviously, I got a little bit of stick. You know, sometimes when I weren't scoring, because, you know, if I'm not scoring, sometimes you wonder what I'm doing. You know, <laughs> that's me looking back on it. I was a really impact in the game as a player if I weren't scoring. And, you know, people could ask that question um, as much as they want. But when I was impacting the game, we were winning. So mm. a lot of the time, it's twofold, really, as a player. Um, it just de- depends, you know, how thick your skin is, I think. For me, I always loved it when people criticised me, you know, especially as away fans. You know, when you go, yeah. uh, or as an away player going into a home crowd, I loved mm. it. I absolutely loved <laughs> it when fans hate me because I know I'm under the skin already. Mm. I'd always have a little bit of a, a laugh with the away fans or, or with the home fans or whoever, do you know what I mean? When, they, when they're like laughing at me on the floor if I got smashed or whatever, or if I got someone booked and I'm rolling around pretending I'm hurt and, you know, I'd get up, blow my kiss or start smiling and, you know, hearing the booze and that. And obviously when I'd score, I'd, I'd just stand in front of them like, yeah, I'm here. Well, I keep booing. I'll keep doing this. I That, that was my personality and, you know, that was, that was me. You know, obviously this era of, of football is, is is a little bit different. You know, there's a lot more pressure on, on players now. There's a lot more ways that people can attack you. You know, obviously mm. Instagram, um Obviously, Facebook, um, Twitter, etc. You know, there's loads of ways people want to try and you know abuse you as trolls and and that sort of thing. So, um, I, th- I, th- I think it's quite hard um, th- this time round. I think as a, as a player, I was never really too fussed about it. But obviously, mm-hmm. I'm I'm getting to towards the end of my career now, and my skin's a lot thicker than what it was when I was younger. <laughs> Um, another one for Alfie. I, I will say to everybody who's listening and watching, we when we we spoke to Alfie 18 months ago, and I checked the stats of the day, and it's still our most listened to podcast so far. <laughs> um, so that's which I think is brilliant. If you haven't already, that's back in 2020, 2020 time. If you haven't listened to that already, go back and listen because well, was bits here. Obviously, we've already covered. But Paul Paul Barnfield wants to know, um, did you how close did you ever come to signing for us? I know you mentioned last time, but it was a conversation, weren't it? Yeah, a couple of times. I spoke to Warney a couple of times. Um, there was one time before I went to Bolton in League One, before we got promoted with Bolton, I mm. spoke to Warney then. And I think he signed, I think he came in as interim manager then. And I was like, Warney, do you want me? I'm, I'm leaving yeah. Wigan. 
because um, I played against Rotherham and I was playing left wing for Wigan. I come on a sub as left wing. <laughs> and um, I was like, this... come on, right, this isn't me. Um, and I spoke to Warney afterwards and I was just like, I'm leaving Wigan. Like, this, they're not like the manager's not playing me. Um, I just want to play. That's all I want to do. Mm. And he's like, look, I'd love to sign you, but I'm not making the decisions or I'm not having the final say, so whatever. I'll give it to the director of football, whoever it was at the time. I'm not too sure who it was. A guy from Brighton, I can't remember his name now. John Jackson or something like that? No, I don't think it was Jackson. I think the one before him. Before him? This is one for you, lads. I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) This was your first season watching us, Danny. You should remember. I think he was. We did, we were injured. For Norwich. I think he signed him. At yeah. the time in the January, and I was I was messaging Warnie. I said, "Look, I said I've got Bolton, but obviously I prefer to stay in the Championship and play if mm. I'm going to play. Like obviously, I'll come to you, get fit and play. Like I've got no you know no qualms about that. I want to get fit and play. Like I need to you know be in the shop window really mm. for what whatever happens next. And obviously Warnie was really interested, but I don't think the director of football liked me. Um, so. It never really went further than that. Well, obviously, Warney always liked me because he knew what I could bring. Mm. Um, and I think even the season after that, when I was on a free, but my mm. my head was already at Bolton then because we got promoted. Yeah. Um, obviously, we got promoted to Bolton and they, they were like, look, we're desperate to sign you. Um, but Rotherham were like, yeah, we'll, obviously, we want to sign you as well. And I was like, well, I've had such a great time at Bolton. Um can't really do that. Like, I wouldn't really entertain the talks, really. And um, I just went from there and just, and obviously stayed with Bolton. And then I think that January time, I was looking to le- not leave Bolton, but I was, I was unhappy because I'd not played. I played two games mm. and they were like, we were like losing every week. And I was like, mm, you know, what's going on? So I like, and, um, we sort of need someone to score. And no one's doing it. Like, can I help? And well, it wasn't really happening. Yeah. So um, I sort of looked to leave, asked Warney if he'd, if he'd be interested. And he was like, yeah, of course, I'd be interested. And then it come towards the end of the window and they just kiboshed everything. Bolton said, no, you're not going. Um, yeah. I need you now. Because I think you sold Gary Medine. Mm. And then I sort of played a little bit towards the end. I got into the wards. February time in the team and, and and played for like two months, three months and, and sort of finished the season there and, and then after that I was uh, mentally fatigued I'll say from English football <laughs> Yeah I can imagine yeah um, uh, I was going to ask a question about, about roles as a striker keepers and strikers roles are quite similar in terms of if you have a bad game as a striker, there's a good chance team aren't going to win a game because you're not scoring goals. Same with a keeper. Keeper has a bad game. They've probably, probably made a mistake. Again, it's just a strange breed of... Foot, each stage of a football, each position of a footballer has its own strangeness and uniqueness. And as a striker, you, you thrive on that. You know, I've got to perform. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that's something that my sort of upbringing was, was somewhat of... You know, drilled into me the obviously the team side of things that if things are not going well for you on the pitch as a player, you have to work hard. Like you just have to run around because that's the only way out of it. You know, you have to try and create problems for someone so someone else can you know uh, reap the rewards of that. I think as mm. uh, and as a striker, if, if it's not going well for you, you know, normally you get brought off. You know, simple as that, really. Um, you can't really do that with the keeper, obviously. You don't really see keepers getting brought off too often. Uh, but I think, I think the strange thing for me is that I always, I, as a striker, I would prefer to be missing chances than to be getting no chances at all. Mm. Because, you know, ultimately, I know I'd score. So if I keep getting chances, I know I'm going to score. It's inevitable. But if I'm getting no chances, then I know I'm not going to score because um, something's not right. Like, mm. I used to be like, something isn't right if I'm not getting chances in a game because how, how are we meant to win? Like that was me being selfish in, in the way I was thinking, especially in, when I was playing for Rotherham. A hundred percent. If if I'm not getting chances, there's a good chance we're not going to win it. And um, you know, if I was getting chances, there's a good chance I'm going to score. A very good chance I'm going to score, and and a very good chance we're going to be very successful off the back of that because mm. the sort of team was 
I won't say focused, but re- sort of relied on me a little bit, um, yeah. which I loved. Don't get me wrong, I loved it. I loved the fact that I was the, you know, the go-to guy sort of thing to to score the goals and and get all the adulation. Um, and you know, obviously, you can't score every week as a as a striker. I know, I know that obviously, but you know, there was nothing more than I tried my, my hardest to do that. But obviously. You know, there's going to be spells where you have two or three games without scoring, four games without scoring, etc. Because you defenders have to, you know, teams obviously change the way they play or they come up with tactics for you because they don't want to be, um, I won't say embarrassed by it, but they don't want to see the same thing happen. You know, Fonzie goal, they, you know, they'll put someone else on me or mm-hmm. or whatever. It's always funny enough when I played crew. Every time we played against Dario's crew, he had me man marked. With every game I played against him, he'd have some a centre half just follow me hot all round the pitch. Get on that Lafondra, get on him. No, it was it was literally that because I remember we played them, yeah. we played them at Gresley Road in my third season, just before I left. Yeah, yes. third season, and yeah. and I had I think it was Curtis Nelson, and he followed me the whole way around the pitch, and I was speaking to like obviously Andy Scott was the gaffer. Mm. And after like 10 minutes, I was like to him, do you want me to just stand out on left wing and just pull the centre-half out here? And he was like, no, because you can't score there. I was like, but <laughs> I'm taking a player away. And he's like, no, 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 just go and play your normal game. So I, obviously, I just got this guy running around with me the whole game. <laughs> and I, I remember scoring. And then I remember after the game, Dario was like, he's, had, he's done two things all game. He's had one shot where the keeper's tipped it over and he scored. And I've had a man on him all game. I don't know how he does it. <laughs> and I was just like, I, I actually found it. I was buzzing off it because obviously, the other things aside, Dario's a legend in the football mm-hmm. world. Obviously, the other stuff I don't, I'm not too sure yeah. on. But um, you know, that was like really flattering for me. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, you know, this guy's doing all sorts to stop me trying to score here. I've, I've done it anyway, which was you know a big boost to my confidence. <laughs> Uh, but I, f- I felt like no one could stop me anyway. It, that's what it felt like for me. I felt like um, pretty much no one could stop me. In, in, definitely in League Two. And even now, at 35, I don't think, you know, um, there's many defenders who can keep me quiet. If you give me chances, I'm going to score. Like, mm-hmm. that, that's sort of what I've said from probably about nine years old till, till now. Yeah. 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 Well, I think we talked about. I think we talked about this in the last the, the last time we spoke, and and you talked about that that kind of um, ego and arrogance that, that that a striker has to have. It, you know, it's it's not just it's not sort of it's not a well you can you can be like that if you want to. You have to have that sort of confidence, self confidence in yourself that you know that if you're given the opportunity, you are going to take eight out of ten of them or whatever. Um, and is that something that you sort of, yeah, and the kind of the mental work, if you like, the mental, the psychological side of of the game is 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 quite I find quite interesting. You know, is it something that you have to work on as a striker, or is it just is that just you, or is that what you've sort of become by playing um, in that position? Does that make sense? Yeah, I know what you're trying. Yeah, it's. I think for me, when I was. I think from young, I'd always scored a lot of goals. So I'd sort of mm. always been, you know, that kid. Like mm. you'd score 30, 40 goals a season. Mm. So from young, it was sort of like, obviously this is like Sunday league and junior football. Yeah. Um, no one can really stop me at my age group or the age group above. And then it would, I'd go into, when I was signed for Stockport Centre of Excellence, I was 30 goals a season for them from probably 11 years up to well up to 17 I was in the youth team like I'd score against all the big teams we'd play and I'd score well, I just scored most weeks pretty much so for me it felt like that was like a routine for me and I'd always I would, I've always been a confident like confident kid from even when I was playing Sunday League, I'd always have a little bit of arrogance about me. Mm. Um, never saying anything, but I'd always try to emulate, say, Cantona. Like I'd, I'd, I used to walk around with my chest out and collar <laughs> up on my shirt. And, you know, here I am, sort of thing. And um, you know, I probably looked, I probably looked the right one as a kid doing that. It, it, I guess, I guess it was just part of my makeup as a player. Um, and even, even when I went through. 
Baron Spells as a kid, um, 16, 17, with um, Stockport in the youth team and stuff. When it was when I went from 16 to youth team was was a big step up for me. You know, it's totally different. Uh, players are way more developed than you physically, and it was a, it was a huge adjustment period for me as a kid to see that when you know normally I'm scoring every week in in these games and. You know, now I'm not really scoring. I was like, oh, hold up. Like, let's just, mm. you know, strip things back and, and reset. And um, I think a lot of, for my coaches as well, I've always had a lot of positive reinforcement. And mm. um, I think that's sort of helped me, especially when I was younger, definitely, to um, help me justify what I think of myself as a player. Um, like, don't get me wrong, I know I'm not the best player in the world or anything like that, but... I always knew I was a very good goal scorer, even as a kid. I knew if mm. I get chances, I was going to score. And whenever mm. I did it, in the, whenever I got chances in the first team, when I was 17, 18, I'd score. So, mm. you know, from a young age, I was sort of justified in, in what I was thinking. And, you know, lucky for me, it came to fruition. Obviously, I worked hard, really hard on my craft and, and practiced what I preached because, you know, uh, a lot of the times you have to drag me off the training field to, to improve on finishing and, and working on how I'm going to score goals, on what I can improve as a footballer, and uh, and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, it wasn't just me thinking, yes, I'm a great footballer, so mm. let's go and do that. It was mm. a lot of practice <laughs> and and repetitions made me believe that as well. Because mm. you know, if I do finishing drills, it was I'd, I'd score a lot of goals in that. So that sort of gave me confidence to take it into games. That when I get the chances that I'm practicing, that I'm going to take them. Mm. Hmm. And we have, we do have sometimes have sort of 12, 13 year old people watching this. So any youngster coming through playing football, playing any other sport, is that sort of the advice you give them is well, first of all, enjoy it, but make sure you yeah. work hard and sort of believe in yourself. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, um, in this day and age now, a, a lot of young players, you know, 12 to 16 is, um, you know, the, the window's sort of been extended a little bit to 18 because of development and, and how your body develops when you get to obviously, you know, 14, 15, 16, everyone develops differently and late bloomers, etc. But I think, you know, you have to get comfortable with the ball. If you want to play in the Premier League, definitely. You have to master the ball. You have to be comfortable both feet. Um, like you say, enjoyment is number one. Um, but if you work hard at, at the basic things, the difficult things become easy because mm. the basic things in football is such an underrated thing. You know, uh, a midfielder being able to scan and check the shoulders, knowing they can open out and switch the play, um, might be a, a menial thing and something that's, you know, should be done by every player. Not every player can do that. And, you know, it relieves pressure in games. You know, a striker taking the ball in and holding up relieves pressure off the back four, helps them come up. Mm. Knowing when to win a free kick, knowing when to obviously get that a little bit more with experience and age. But knowing when to hold on to the ball, release the ball, when to time your runs, etc. They're the sort of things you need to work on as definitely as a young kid. Um, you know, like I said, there's been a lot I've seen a lot of increase in one on one football coaches and and that sort of thing. But you don't have to have a coach to do that. You can see plenty of stuff on YouTube to, you know, kick a ball against a wall, re- receive it, etc. And and definitely hone on for me, ball mastery is number one. Um He's, he's definitely being comfortable both feet. I think for a modern-day footballer, um, you have to be very good in, in tight areas. If you want to play, you know, at the top end of things, in the top end of, of world football, um, you know, and obviously the Premier League, which is the best league in the world, you, you've got to, you know, the ball's got to be your friend. It can't be, it can't be an enemy, which, you know, mm-hmm. um, football's shifting away from that. You know, I think 15, 20 years ago, it wasn't quite like that. Um, yeah. definitely in the lower leagues so you know where everyone's becoming a lot more comfortable and you know that's the sort of thing you have to to, to work on and, and obviously you know the work rate and appetite <laughs> for the game you know sort of breeds off that mm-hmm. I'll have to show yeah, the veil that clip because uh, she wants to be a striker um, yeah. when she when she's older and she's very good with the ball at the minute because um, we played a little a little kick about last week and for some reason they stuck me at centre half and uh, she's she's got the ball and gone straight past me and it's like she's she's <laughs> yeah, yeah she, I, I got done by a twelve year old that sounds yeah. really strange to say but she took the ball straight past me it's like wow how have you managed that. <laughs> I went and stood up front the rest of the game well, and I scored like, fair enough. oh I definitely yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. For, for anyone who's sticking around, you will be on the training session later on the stream as well. Uh, oh, awesome. So you can watch you take the ball past me again, which would be fun. Unreal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to keep you too long, Alfie, but we've got a couple more things I want to talk about with you, if that's all right. Um, yeah. First of all, Stockport. I know you've Stockport boy as as somebody who grew up playing Stockport every week. I thought it was what happened to them was almost heartbreaking as a football club. But they're almost back in the football league. They're running clear at the top of the national league. How great would it be to see Stockport back as a football league club? Yeah, I think it was a matter of time, really. I think after last season, they had a lot of good groundwork uh, laid down there. Like I've said before, the the chairman there has got a great vision for Stockport and and the town and the club as a whole um, to really take them on. And I, I can only see them kicking on. You know, obviously, Touchwood that they finish up the season as strongly as they're playing right now and obviously how they've played all season under Dave Challenger after he obviously took over from Rusk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've got a great chance of uh, bringing the town some real joy because they've been starved of success mm-hmm. because obviously they've been down in the doldrums of, you know, Conference North. Um, yeah. Obviously, they've been in the conference a few years and now they've got the backing to get out of that league and, and really do some damage in League Two as well. You know, you look at Sutton who've, who came out of the conference and are fighting for promotion in, in League Two straight away. So, I think Stockport will will really use this as a springboard, getting out of the conference and, and going from strength to strength in League Two. You know, obviously, they're, they're like I say, they're, they're healthily backed. So, um, I expect a lot of, you know, good players wanting to play for them because mm. you can see them trending in the right direction. Uh, very much like, uh, obviously, Salford, but Salford have stalled a little bit in League Two. Um, but obviously I don't see Stockport having as many problems as that because like I say the blueprint that they've that I, I've seen and uh, I know the, the youth team manager very well um, and he's spoken about you know what sort of things are going to come and you know the plans that there, that there is in place for them and you know I can only see them going from strength to strength and having a, a healthy Stockport back in the league is, is um, you know is great for Stockport as a whole and um, I think it'll be good for the league because they are mm. you know, obviously without being disrespectful, they have a league club, but you know they've not been that for a few years, and I think um, you know Stockport will be revitalised for that. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm looking forward to playing back, playing back at league, playing at cup the earlier this season, obviously. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to playing at league again. There's, there's no years. way that they're a non-league club. Absolutely no <laughs> way. It's an outrage. And then I'm, I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying that because you're on here, Alfie. We said it in the podcast when we when we played them. It's an absolute outrage that a club like Stockport uh, is, is in the National League. And they're, they're obviously, I mean, that, that league is littered with football leagues. Yeah, clubs, look at Notts County know, as well. Uh, absolutely. And that, 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 there's Rexham, another outrage. Even Wrexham were back in football league, weren't they? Yeah, Wrexham, um, yeah. So, but anyway, anyway, I'll show up now, sorry. I thought you were going to ask a question. I thought I'd no, do no. this all the time, but you start talking. I think there's a question coming. Well, I just, I, it just comes out. I, I try and keep does, it in. But does that warrant the flag out. or does it stay down? For no, that mate, bit? no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to ask about your particular, obviously, you mentioned you're 35. What age do you start thinking after post career coaching, punditry, anything? Are you, are you at a stage yet where you're thinking beyond or are you just enjoying football a minute? Uh, both obviously I've got one eye on what's going to happen in the future for me but obviously I want to play as long as I can mm. um, my body's been really good um, you know touch wood realistically I've not really had many injuries over my career so still feel really good in myself um, you know I'm still flying about as um, as I do my stats on the GPS are still high enough for me to look at them and think you know I'm, I'm keeping up with the younger players and you know, I'm going beyond them as well in, in my output as well. So, um, for me, I don't know. I think my body will tell me, um, you know, when it's time to pack up. But obviously, I've got, you know, an, an eye on the future. And obviously, I want to stay involved in football. And um, I'd love to work in uh, youth development. I think, you know, something like 16 to, to say, 21s is, is somewhere where I want to work in, in that sort of environment, helping, you know, develop young strikers, um, I think I can be a real asset in that, and um, you know that's something I'm really looking forward to doing. And um, but obviously, it's I don't know how close that is, and I don't know how far away that is. Um, so obviously, uh, it's something that I've, I've got in my mind, but it's not at the forefront of my mind at the minute. Mm-hmm. I'm still fully focused on football, and um, I think that's the way it is for me. I think uh, you know I'm quite lucky in the fact that 
Uh, I'm living a great, a great life out here, and I'm able to, you know, prolong my career as um, not as long as I want, but as long as I can for the time being. And um, but obviously, I've got to produce off the back of that, which is, you know, a nice pressure to have as well. So, um, like I say, I'm just enjoying football, and um, you know, I know where uh, I've got one eye on on what's going on next, but it's not, you know, it's not coming too soon, I guess. <laughs> yeah, um, and one final rolling matter question for me. It might be a bit, it might be a slightly unfair one. I want to talk about Andy Scott for the brief period you were man that you played under him. We spoke with Ben Pringle, who played there at the same time, and he had problems. He was basically frozen out by Andy Scott, and for one reason or another, I'm just interested in the Andy Scott because you left very briefly. So it might be an unfair question, but how was Andy Scott as a manager for that brief period? He was your manager. Did you really enjoy playing with him, or did, did it end up very well from our place anyway? How was that? You know, funny enough, actually, I had a really good relationship with him. Um, I think, obviously, at the end of that season, before when we finished up, I did an interview and said, look, um, I want to play higher. I've scored a lot of goals here. We've not been promoted. Um, if I stay at Rotherham, I, I won't be signing a new contract. I want to play higher. But if I stay, I'm obviously going to score goals because that's what I do. So when I first came back for pre-season, he like, pulled me in and said, look, I want you to be the main man here. I'm going to build the team around you. I'm going to get you out of this league, et cetera, et cetera. I've developed plays before at Brentford. And, you know, obviously all, all the right things for me as a player to hear. And and I, I just said, look, I'm coming here to work hard. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to get in great shape. And I'm going to score goals. Like, I don't know how long you're going to have me for. Obviously, I want to play out. If I get a chance to move, then I want to move. Like, I, I said that to him straight away. And he was like, look, if it's right for the club and right for you, then we won't hold you back. You've been a great servant here. Um, you know, it, was, it sort of went hand in hand. It was a, a very cordial <laughs> conversation, and um, it, it, we never really had a disagreement. Um, even pre-season, obviously, there was a few bids for me in pre-season from Chef Wednesday, um, but they were uh, derisory, and so it never really went anywhere. And even even the Reading one, um, that was last minute. It wasn't like mm. we've been talking for a few weeks or. Mm. Like I'd known about it, it was literally we played like say Barnet, and I think two days later a bid had been accepted, and I was in the car. I didn't even discuss terms. I was in the car. I was gone. I was, <laughs> I was like, right, yeah, whatever. I'll sit. I'm driving down. I, I drove down and then got my contract in the car. I was like, yeah, I'll sign it. Like, I want to go play. I don't care. Um, so yeah, I was. It was always a good relationship, you know. We, he tried a few different things with me and um, the way we played as well, which was which was nice for me because mm. I don't think he just seen me as an out and out nine. He wanted me to play a little bit deeper and arrive mm. late into the box. Um, obviously, we had Grabs as well at that time, yeah. so me and Grabs had a really good relationship, and we started we started the season really well. Um, I remember the game at Plymouth Plymouth away. Like I played sort of as a ten that game, and I really enjoyed it, like because. Obviously, they he sort of forecasted that they were going to try and hone in on me. Mm. Um, me playing a little bit deeper, you know, unlocked a, little, a few other things, and I managed to score two goals. And we, I think, we smashed them for something in the end, four two maybe. Um, yeah, and that's, like I say, I really enjoyed working. With him. I thought he was a good manager. Like I say he was really good with me, and I, I enjoyed my time with him. Um, there was no never any arguments or anything like that with him. I know. A few other players did have arguments with him. Um, obviously, Pope he had a big, a big hoo ha with him as well. Hmm. But you know that that that's football. You know, happens, a new it? manager comes in, they're not going to like everyone. So hmm. you know, I was quite lucky that the manager liked me, and and, and obviously, I liked him as well. I liked the way he works. He worked to play more football, which suited me. Hmm. Just to just to point out some new Rotherham, any sort of younger or newer Rotherham United fans. Yes, Rotherham United did have. Adam Lafondre and Lewis Graben playing up front for him. <laughs> yes, we did. Yeah, only a brief spell, though. I know, but days. Jesus, man. <laughs> what a combo. You know, oh, mate. Well, just off the back of that, mate, imagine telling the Rotherham fans in 2016 that we'd have Will Grigg up front. Well, yeah, I suppose. Yes, I'm coming, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grigg is, yeah. To be fair, Grigg is a great guy as well. I played mm. for him at Wigan. He's a great guy. Mm. He kind of comes with that reputation a bit, much like yourself in terms of he is a goal scorer, he's going to score your goals, he's going to score your goals. And and, and he's, he's come to us and he's, he's, he's scored a couple. But the, the, the thing about Greggy is, is, is what he does off the ball and 
with the ball away from goal. You know, his contribution to, to the team. He's so massive. clever with ball. His, his runs and his movements are so clever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Not anymore. You've got the other strikers scoring goals as well. You've got Smith scoring goals as well. So yeah. it's always yeah. hard for both strikers to be scoring at the same time as well. Yeah, exactly. One last fan question, Mark Gamble's. Again, it might be a different one because I don't know how much Rotherham you've seen this season. But if you could pick a current Rotherham player squad to play with, who would it be? Again, if you don't know, that's fine. You <laughs> <laughs> um, play 3 5 2 now, though, so it's different, isn't it? Yeah. We never really played that way. I, mm. I think, obviously, for, this, for the sake of it, I'd go with Smith, wouldn't you? You know what I mean? As a big man, target mm. man who's. Uh, Renault holding the ball up and you know nicks a few goals as well. It'd probably take a bit more pressure off me as a player, and mm. um, you know you can only imagine the partnership. You know potentially we, we would have you know both playing. You know as we do say now, him, him at his age now, and me at the age I played for Rotherham and, and the role I played for for Rotherham mm. at my age. Um, you know I think we would have caused a lot of problems for a lot of teams. Mm. It'd be a great combo, that proper combo. Mm. <laughs> um, and Ben. Ben, you've got a mute button yeah. if you want to cough, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I did. It was an unexpected cough, so <laughs> you've got another eleven hours of this, mate. So get used to the mute button. Will you? It's nice for you to contribute, <laughs> anyway, mate. I'm just watching. This happened last time. I'm just watching. It did and listening. last time. Yeah, we, yeah, actually, yeah. yeah, last time we spent 45 minutes talking to Alfie. Me and Alfie had a conversation while Ben sat next to me, just watching. <laughs> <laughs> His mute button was on, weren't it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is a question I'm going to ask all players now. Is there anything you want to ask Rotherham fans? Is there a question of your time that you want to ask us or any Rotherham fans? I know that's a bit of a strange thing to ask, maybe, but is there anything? If, again, if there isn't, then don't worry about it. Just, I, I'll try <laughs> yeah, it out. We did it with Victor yeah. when we spoke to Victor, our keeper, in, 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 in Christmas. He asked us about best player, best team we'd seen that season as well. So I just thought we'd throw it out there. I don't know. He's. I should have asked you this before, and should have so you could have thought about it. Yeah, you should have given me a bit of a talk because I've done a bit of research on you. <laughs> Sorry about that, mate. He does seem to us as well, I'll to be fair. on the spot without sounding just about me. <laughs> no, no I'll, leave, I'll leave it. <laughs> In fact, ben, now, we'll go with this. Who was the most... Who was the most um, underrated player from our team that you thought? From obviously 2008, mm. I'd say, to 11, weren't it? Yeah, uh, 2000, yeah 2008 to 11. Or yeah, nine, 8, 9, might be an 8, 9. Yeah, is it? Oh, I'll, I'll find out. Yeah, <laughs> I, well, I, was, eight, I wasn't confident eight, enough nine, to understand then football. 11, then. And then 11, 12, 11. You're asking. This is one, unfortunately for me and Mick, I can't even duck out of this one. Uh, <laughs> ben, do you remember any players from that? Because I know you were you were a wee baby back then, weren't you? Uh, Ruben Reed. Ruben, that was before Alfie. He didn't right? play with me. He was before, before me. Oh, oh that's, <laughs> that's the only person I can remember. I did. Um, I did play with him at Rochdale, though. <laughs> what, what, about Jason, what about Jason Taylor? Did he play? <laughs> I remember yeah, him at Don Valley. Jay, bro. They weren't my yeah. favourite, Jay. Well, they weren't Mick's favourite. No, Mick weren't a fan, to be honest with you. Wait, were you did you play with Danny Harrison? Yeah. I, I like Danny Harrison. For me, I thought he was very, very underrated. He, he was one of those midfielders that I felt was going to kick on, and I don't think he really ever did uh, after he left yeah. us. But yeah. I, for me, that would be my answer, Danny Harrison, I thought. Yeah. I liked him a lot. I'm going to go Pablo Mills. I love Pablo Mills playing at centre at Park. I mean, it didn't make any sense, but it just worked sometimes. It was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, Mills, he was good, man. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, Mick, Ben, Danny, anything else you want to ask Alfie before we let him go enjoy an evening in Australia? <laughs> you know, I'm catching spiders and snakes. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, nothing for me, mate. Ben, do you want to contribute anything? Nah, nah. <laughs> I think I contributed players. I contributed a player. Contrib- that, contributed Jason Taylor. I didn't even play when Alpha were playing, yeah. Yeah, I, now Jason Taylor was my answer to the question. Oh, sorry, sorry. I apologise. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I don't have I don't have an answer to that question. I, I was just, just picking up the football magazines going, oh, Rotherham have a football team in, in 2008. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, my one question, and it's all based on hypotheticals. Hypothetically, if Paul Warren rings you and says, Alfie, I want you to come back, and this, these are your front lines options, you've got Smith, Grigg, Kelly, the young Irish striker, we've got unKO'd. What's your answer? One last hour at English football, or are you staying in Australia? <laughs> I think you'd have to put it in front of me. I think it'd have to be in front of me for me to decide. I would never say never, 100%, never say never, because I was sort of thinking that before coming back to Australia, was I going to go and, you know, have a, a last hurrah somewhere? and Well, not last hurrah, really. Would have gone and played back in English football again after, mm. you know, um, mm. a three-year sort of hiatus of, of being successful out, outside of England and um, would have gone and, you know, start travelling around England again and, <laughs> I think if the right club asked me, it would be difficult to turn down, for sure. Mm. But it depends. You know, it's passing ships in the night sort of thing. It's always about the right timing. And um, I'm not sure it is the right timing. So, I don't know. I don't know. Like I say, it depends what happens at the right time, etc. And uh, what my mindset is at that, at that situation. And, and you know what I can give at that situation as well, because you know, like I said, like I say, I feel great now at, at this moment in time. But it might be different in twelve months' time, or you know, mm-hmm. twenty-four months' time, etc. Depending on whenever I do leave Australia, if I do leave Australia, etc. But um, I would never say never to definitely playing for a club that I love playing for, and you know, I've been successful for. I would love that to, um, you know, sort of curtail my career at a a club like that where I've been, I, w- I wouldn't say adored, but felt love and, you know, I'd both ways love of, you know, I love the f- performance of the fans and the fans love watching me play. I would love to play for a club um, who appreciated me then to finish my career, definitely. Um, but I wouldn't want to be, you know, just a token gesture. I'd want to contribute, mm. you know, that's my mindset. Yeah. And, um, mm. you know, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but, uh, like I say, I never say never, but uh, I'd put it under unlikely. <laughs> Warning, get on the phone. Uh, yeah, get yeah, I'll just message him Alfie, this has been brilliant. Thank you very much for giving us an hour of your time. Uh, good luck in no. Australia for the rest of the season and rest of your career down there and maybe see you back in England soon. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Cheers, Alfie. Thank, thank you. Work. Thank you very much. See you. Great work. Um, Vicious. 